bear with us for just a second as we get ourselves set up. ourselves here, um, but we're going to be sharing with you today um, a story from the Old Testament. Um, first, we're going to share our names and the answer to our the discussion question that y'all answered. Um, my name is Ann Wagoner, and much like Dar, I could make a whole list of places I'd love to visit that I haven't been yet, but um, I'm going to say Machu Picchu. Um, hi, my name Place, yes, I agree, there's a lot. Um, but most recently, I've had my eyes set on the Dolomites, doing a trek in the Dolomites in Italy. That would be, okay, perfect, Anne and I are going. <laughs> my name is Carol Toland, and um, I'd like to go back to Europe again. I've been there a couple of times um, in different places, but I'd like to take that river cruise that goes down the Dan Danube. So uh, my name is Pam Gums, and I've had the good fortune to travel to lots of different places. I've been to 43 of the 50 states, but the states I have not been to are the New England states, and Maine in particular I'm super interested in because I've got this idea um, that if you go to Maine, there's going to be like lobster on the beach, and so <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty interested in that, but my foreign country is Italy, so maybe I will tag along with <laughs> Anne and Emily on that yeah, trip. Tag along yeah, too. yeah, yeah, so we, we just turned this into a vacation. <laughs> so um, the four of us today here are going to be doing something a little different. Um, how many of you are familiar with or have heard of the practice of Lectio Divina? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, there's a couple of hands out there. So the practice of Lectio Divina and what Lectio Divina means is divine reading. And so the way that Lectio Divina works is you read a scripture passage and then what you're doing is you're reflecting on it, you're listening, listening carefully for the things that sort of stick out to you. Maybe that's a word, maybe that's a phrase, maybe it's an idea, something that it, um, that it sparks for you, then you're responding in prayer and you're resting in silence. And so Lectio Divina is something that you can practice as an individual or you can do it together as a group, which is what we're doing here this morning using some passages from the book of Genesis that talk about Hagar and Ishmael. And so I would call um, what we're doing today almost like a Lectio Divina Plus because uh, we're doing all of the things that I mentioned and then we've also read a little bit of commentary in advance so that we've kind of got some food for thought. But I will tell you that while we've written some things down, uh, what we're doing today isn't exactly scripted because part of Lectio Divina is that you're listening and so you're listening for what God is saying, but then you're also listening to those who are doing the reflecting with you. So um, I'm pretty excited about this, and I invite you while we're doing the reading of these passages and while we're having our discussion that you would be listening as well, that you're listening for what God might be saying and that maybe somewhere in those verses it would spark something for you or perhaps even in our discussion and conversation that there would be uh, something that would be sparked that would give you an idea or uh, something to think about or reflect on. So we're going to start with our first passage from the book of Genesis. And you can uh, find that on your handout. You can find it on your handout. 
Yes, we did not know if we were going to be inside or outside, so we wanted to make sure that it was easy for you to read and follow along. So before we read Genesis 16, I'm going to just give you a little um, previously on the saga of Abram. Uh, so in chapter 12 of Genesis, we're right after the Tower of Babel. So we're like early on in the human history of the, of that's written in scripture. And um, Abram is called by God, and God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And he tells, uh, God tells Abram to leave hit where he's living and to go to a new land, um, and there are lots of adventures along the way, and uh, some we get sidetracked a little bit here and there. Um, but then we do come to Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So it's a long time after that promise from God. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats, teaches, bleh, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Did anyone put Israel on their list of places to go? <laughs> um, so I'd like to give you just a little bit of background, cultural background to this period of time. And the cultures in the Middle East, um, it was a tribal or Bedouin type of culture where people moved um, from place to place. They were nomadic and they relied on each other as clans and families, uh, large groups, and um, traded and interacted with other people besides the Hebrews would interact with other people. So they would trade ideas and cultures just like we do today. We get new ideas maybe from traveling, maybe from uh, watching TV or <laughs> any number of sources, reading on the internet and so on. So ideas traveled and flowed and cultures were similar because they lived in a similar environment, um, they faced similar problems, and so there were traditions that developed over time. So in understanding the Bedouin ancient cultures of the Middle East, we want to put um, Sarai and Hagar's story in perspective. 
excuse me, Sarai and Abram would have been married by traditional methods where Abram's father would find a bride for Abram and an appropriate bride would be from someone within his larger clan family. So they would choose a bride and once the arrangements were made, the bride price would be paid, it would become a contract and the bride would be sent to live with the groom's family and the marriage would then be consummated. In the Middle Eastern cultures, additional wives and concubines were common. The practice would increase the wealth of the patriarch. In Sarai and Abram's case, scripture does not mention any additional wives. Once the marriage was um, once the marriage would produce children, the firstborn son would become the heir to any of the property and wealth that the patriarch or the family accumulates. So when he passes, it would go to the firstborn son. Um, if there is no heir, no son, then of course that whole system is disrupted. So as um, We'll find out in the next reading there is a real problem uh, with inheritance. So Sarai remained barren. She wasn't able to get pregnant. But there were other accepted practices of the time to solve that problem. And one of them would be Abram could get another wife or wives, which we don't, again, have any mention of that in scripture. Um, but the second solution was the one that they went with, which was Sarai presented her maid, Hagar, to, or her slave, to be, uh, become a surrogate mother or a surrogate wife. So that was how they solved the problem. And both of those solutions were common practice by all the Bedouin tribes. So if there were no sons, through the official wife, <laughs> then you could substitute a second wife or you could substitute a surrogate. So with that, we're going to do the second reading, um, the birth of Isaac. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 21, verses one through 22. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named his son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him and God, as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So if we're doing the math, 14 years later after Ishmael was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said that Abraham, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance of my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, 
Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God appeared to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation for his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. There's a lot there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so the four of us have had the benefit of having read this multiple times over the past few weeks. Um, so there are going to be things that have struck us and things that we've been thinking about for a while. So let's just start with uh, what were your initial impressions of this story and the characters, the people in it? Um, I, well, I initially, when I first read through it, I honestly had a hard time <laughs> with the reading. Um, I felt like my kind of first reading through it was like, all of these characters are kind of a bummer. <laughs> like, they all kind of, you know, yeah, definitely have some flaws and aren't the nicest, and there's just all of this. Um, I, I kind of immediately went to those kind of, like, the negative parts of the highlights of each character. Um, and then I think also the other thing was um, just um, like the unlikelihood of Abraham living to past well past a hundred in um, in in this time, you know, um, and um, so I think something that helped me and also just initially is um, something that Pete's talked a lot about and that we've um, talked about in different you know, teachings here is this idea that a story doesn't have to be real or exactly factual in order to be true and to find truth in it. So that was something that my initial reaction was like, ugh, this is weird and I can't, I don't know if I believe it all. And then it's like, oh yeah, okay. Like this, there's, what truth can we bring from this story? What, what truth can we find in this story? Um, so that, that was something that really helped me kind of recenter in my next readings of it. I'd read this story or heard this story many times over the years, and I'd never really paid particularly close attention to Hagar. It was always like from the point of view of Abraham and Sarah and their problem of not having children. And um, it was like Hagar was just a a minor character and once she had Ishmael she's off to the side and we don't pay any more attention to her. Um, but this time having done a little bit more reading in the background study of it I realized Hagar really is a really important character in this story and actually now looking at it and thinking about it I would make her the central character in the story. Um, she is a woman who is abused. She's a woman who is, um, has very little voice, as we say in modern times. She cannot really have any way to stand up for herself. And so it made me think about um, voiceless women in society in ancient times as well as modern times. There are many things that happen that seem minor at the time but have great and profound effect. As, as we didn't really pay that much attention to Hagar and her son Ishmael, where we always paid attention to Abraham and his son Isaac 
we didn't really like think about them being as half brothers um, and that the descendants not only go through Abraham and Isaac, but they also go through Abraham and Ishmael, and that was like kind of never made an important fact. It was always just kind of a side sideline idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it really made me look at Hagar and Ishmael too to be more of a central character to this story. And I think that I would have to say as well that it was the story of Hagar um, that sort of spoke to me. Uh, I always pay particular attention to the stories of women in the Bible. And like in the New Testament, we see Jesus interacting with women all the time. There's you know the woman at the well, there's the women who support him, women who are early believers in the church. But in the Old Testament, to see a woman such as Hagar and we, we do see that, uh, you know, that she's a slave woman and things are, um, things happen to her, things are done to her where she doesn't have a choice and she doesn't have a voice. They, they happen to her. But when we sort of turn and look at that a little more closely, even though she doesn't have a choice and she doesn't have a voice, we see a little bit later on in the story that some pretty remarkable things happen. Like she gives a name to God. Like that doesn't happen, you know, anywhere else in the Old Testament that a woman gives a name to God. And God speaks to Hagar, a slave woman. Like that seems remarkable to me. And so that's where the wheels turn in my in my head. Yeah, I think that's really notable. I mean that she, she gives a name to God and has this, this new relationship with God is really, that's really something. She's this exploited person. Um, Emily, I also resonated so much with something you said about um, how all of these characters are so deeply flawed. Uh, and it just made me think about, um, or kind of a bummer, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their situations are either kind of a bummer or they're flawed characters. And I thought about how often are the heroes of our faith, when we actually read their heroic stories, you're like, oh, wow, you really biffed it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of comforting to me sometimes. It's a to bit see. of a relief. Yeah, it is a bit of a relief, like that there's not like a perfect um, hero of our faith. Yeah. Um, and Pam, talking about kind of the, the um, people we relate to in this story. Oh, I also, sorry, Carol, one thing you mentioned was um, how, you know, who's the, who's the star of the story? Like, who's, who's our protagonist here? And I found it really interesting in studying this more um, to, to see and realize that in the Quran, the story of, that we know so well as Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, in the Quran, that's Abraham being asked to sacrifice Ishmael. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me. I was like, oh, so we all have our, our points of view in this story and our heroes that we're looking at. And that gave me a, a different context, a different, um, I just, it really struck me as like, who we are and how we come to this story really does tell us, you know, inform what we learn from it. Mm -hmm. And the, the culture that we're coming from, right, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So um, along those lines, what are some things that you found that you could learn about, either about God's character or about what the people of the time assume about God in this, in this story? I thought um, it, God came alongside Hagar. He made himself known to a foreigner that he's not, you know, he's not just for Israel, Israel or Israelites alone, that he is inclusive. Um, she's a woman. She's a woman of color. Um, there are not that many 
references to things like that other than like in the New Testament we see Jesus speaking to women more openly um, it was frowned upon and here's here God comes to Hagar he comes alongside her in her time of trouble her misfortune I guess we could say being um, in that particular situation of culture and um, I think that reminds me of like in our lives um, in my life there have been like everyone ups and downs and good times and bad times and and that sometimes we get so involved in our misery <laughs> that we forget that God is alongside of us quietly there helping us and being with us just like a good friend would be with us if we are you know in a rough time and you have a real close friend who comes to be with you it, it is God who comes to be with Hagar and is God who comes to be with us. I think that's such a great point too that God didn't swoop in and fix all of Hagar's problems. Right. It wasn't like, okay, and now you're going to live happily ever after and your son's going to be great and it's all going to be peaches and roses. Um, I'm not sure if that's a phrase, but... <laughs> <laughs> peaches and cream, maybe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, but uh, but that, I find that interesting. It's just that God is there, and God is present, and God sees the mess, and God, mm -hmm. you know, is it's God's presence that comforts Hagar. Um, I think also. So, did you want to say something? No. Well, I was just gonna say um, that I think. Um, I love that, and I think that that's like a perspective um, that in my like secondary third readings, I was like, oh, I, I love that relationship that you see um, with Hagar and God, that it, there's, there is this personal relationship where she's, you know, speaking out to God and, and that he does come to her and 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 help her through in her hour of need, so to speak, right? Um, and I um, and you you see um, God as as a comforter um, in those times and as a support. Um, but then I also think that there's this like interesting juxtaposition within the story because you also have a God from the writer's perspective, at least that is. Um, you know, a God that is um, kind of almost like orchestrating, um, in a way, some of some of the um, what's happening. So you have Abraham going to God, saying, "I don't want to <laughs> send Hagar and Ishmael away," and he was like, "Nope, don't worry about it. Just do, do it. it. Just do it. Just throw them out to the wilderness. It'll be fine." And it's like, really, God, like. Really is that? And it just kind of makes, it kind of has this like, um, you know, all, uh, yeah, it just, it gives this sense of like a, the character of God that is like all powerful and kind of like um, has, you know, like the plan for you is set in stone almost, which I think um, I, uh, yeah, and but then it feels juxtaposed to this personal God that you see also come into the character and and I would I would absolutely agree with all of that and I think as well like when we hear about uh, her giving the name of God the God who sees and then Ishmael's name is God hears yeah. and the promises that are inherent in that yeah. which to me feel like promises of presence but not like you know, the God where we, like the magic genie God, or what I call like the Buddha belly God, like you rub his belly and you tell him what you want and then he gives it to you, like that's not what's happening here, it's, it's something else. And I also love the fact that, uh, you know, in addition to giving the God the name Elroy, there's the well, which is beer, 
I think Lahai Roy, you know, which means um, the well of the living one who sees me, which I haven't been to Israel. It says in the Bible that the well's still there. I don't know if it still is, but it makes me ask the question, like, in my life, are there, like, markers that I can place for, like, this is the place or these are the things that happen to me in this place that I can name and remember as like this was a place where I knew that God's presence was here, that I was seen, that I was heard, even if I didn't like get my wish granted, so to speak. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's beautiful. Like the idea of having maybe some some totems, some some places that in our in our timeline in our lives that we kind of can say a touchstone, like God was here. I remember this, yeah. and it isn't always those times in my life aren't always positive. Yeah. Like it's not always like, and then I went on a roller coaster and yay God. Yeah. Um, peaches <laughs> and roses. Peaches and roses. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's really beautiful. Um, and I always, you know, having been from the East Coast, when I first came out West, I remember like driving by places that were called like Devastation Hill, <laughs> <laughs> or like, or like uh, Desperation Gulch. And I'd be like, what happened there? <laughs> and, and in the same way, like the Bible is full of these stories that where a place is named after something that was experienced there. And I really do kind of, I love that idea. Um, I hope it's not always Devastation Gulch. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a you brought up a couple of things that irk you in this story. Um, I, I was also bugged by the fact that, you know, the first time that Hagar is sent out, um, that the angel of God comes and she's pregnant and the angel of God is like, you should go back to that abusive situation where you're being exploited. Yeah. That's really yeah. not pretty. Yeah. That's really not pretty. Another thing that has bugged me, and then we can all talk about what's bugged us. Um, another thing that has bugged me about this story, um, you know, growing up, um, it, you know, there's a, a tradition where from Ishmael comes the entire Muslim faith, uh, the the you know the faith, the Muslim faith, and then from Isaac comes all of Judaism, and and growing up, I remember kind of the being taught that man these these two lines that have always been embattled against each other, it happened because of one woman's lack of faith that Sarah didn't believe God's promise and went about it her own way and caused everyone in the world years and generations of pain. And I almost hesitate to even say that here if you hadn't ever been taught that, because like I don't want to plant that, but probably some of you guys have been also um, heard teachings like that or people who come at it that way. And it's always made me so uncomfortable because first of all, we have Sarah who is, who is, as you said, Carol, taking a, you know, t taking a solution that is culturally appropriate, something that would be expected in that time. And, um, and also like, it's unlikely that she's gonna get pregnant. And if she, if she had just been like, well, God will prompt, God will, be here, and God would be like, but what did you do to make it happen? You know, it just feels like she was in a lose-lose. Um, but I don't know. Are there any other, anything about that or any other things that have irked you about this story? Mm, not so much an irk, but just to comment on what, what you were saying there, which is that oftentimes um, we sort of forget that God's promises can involve some form of human agency, like there's something that is required of us. And so I think, you know, Sarah has kind of gotten a bad rap in all of this as being the one who like, you know, took matters into her own hands and like 
did the thing, whereas that's... She only had more faith. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's not necessarily the truth. I think one of the things that I find irksome, if you will, to borrow your, your word, um, are, are sort of the times when we see Abraham maybe stepping back. Like, he, he told uh, Sarai, like, you decide what to do with your maid. Like, that just feels like, you know, sort of a non, like a passive, a very passive sort of thing when he could have done something very different. Like, you're gonna send your, your maid and, you know, maid servant is like a, a very sort of polite word for slave. She was a slave. You're gonna send her back to Egypt? Like, seriously? You know? Yeah, yeah he does abdicate a lot of responsibility there and be like, look at what these women did. And, and also, Gives her like a jug of water to get her to get her <laughs> into That always got to me too. But we remember that it's a patriarchal male society that will write these stories and um, record them. And yeah, I thought about you know Abraham and his lack of of uh, intervention. I guess you might say, because here he is extremely wealthy. Right, so he sends this girl off with her son into the wilderness uh, with a little jug of water and maybe a peanut butter sandwich, and away you go. Just go see what happens. You know, you're out of here. You know, have have a good life. We'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, it does remind me of. There's a. This is a tangent, but there's a line in a Jane Austen novel that I just <laughs> love, where there's a man who's who's talking about the inconstancies of women, and he's like, I, all of poetry and every play ever written and all of these books will show you how terrible women have been to men. And the woman in the book replies, but they were all written by men. <laughs> and, and it does, there are those, these moments sometimes where you're like, oh, this is a story about women written by men. Um, but there's that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's just an interesting, um, I feel like I've already talked about all my irks. All my <laughs> but um, yes, I, I think that there's just, a, I have to do some separating in my mind of like the story, the culture that, um, the women, the men, the writer, the um, the meaning behind the story, you know, all the things that come up with it. I mean, I think, I mean, too, we're talking about how, as I mentioned earlier, like, it's like we're saying that Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael off, and it's like, oh, gosh, that's a bummer. But then, but, like, God is like, yeah, do it. <laughs> so, like, that's a bit, like, I think that I struggle with the, with the, again, that, like, the, that part of the character of God that's kind of um, presented in the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, presented is a good word because it isn't necessarily real. Yeah. It's more like who wrote the story and what kind of um, intonation did they want to pass on to us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're like a, a powerful God. I mean, a, you know, a God of like. Power and uh, you know Almighty God that can kind of orchestrate the way was I think really present and powerful and important yeah. then. Yeah, it was kind of the assumption of the time. Yeah, that that was God's role in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, this story made me think about sometimes in my life when God has shown up. And um, like we said, maybe not necessarily solved a problem, but just shown up and been with me. Um, and I remember one time in particular, I was reading, I was living in a new place and, and hadn't made any friends yet and was just feeling so, so low. And I remember saying to God, 
oh God, I'm just gonna wither and die here. <laughs> you know, just a little dramatic. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I remember waking up and, and um, my Bible was open to Psalm 1 where it said, uh, you know, a, a man planted, a, 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 man, a person of faith is like a tree planted by a deep stream. Its roots will go deep and its leaf will never wither. And it, it gave me so much comfort at that moment of just thinking, okay, I'm, I'm gonna see another day. I'm not gonna wither and die yet. Um, <laughs> and, and it just gave me so much hope. Yeah. Um, this was not on any of our pre-discussed pre questions, but do any of you guys have a time in your lives where God showed up, and maybe not in the way that you expected, um, but in the way that you needed? I'll give you a minute. <laughs> and, and while we're thinking, I thought about the fact that we haven't given mention yet to the fact that, you know, that God made a promise to Abram and that promise did come true. You know, he promised him that there would be descendants as numerous as sand on the seashore, and, and that happened. That happened through Isaac, and it happened through Ishmael, and what happened sort of in between, there was a lot of drama and family messiness, you know, as is common in lots of families, but the promises did you know did come true so we don't want to forget about that in addition to the you know being seen and heard the promises did happen and just like in our lives sometimes it takes a long time and it needs a lot of patience but I think having put a couple of decades behind me I um, I look back on my life and I think things did kind of work in like steps or stages, progressed in stages. I mean, not like nice every 10 year kind of stages, but um, that waiting, that patience, sometimes I think is because we have to wait for all the things around us to align. It's kind of like we say, aligning of the stars, right? So it's like everything kind of has to align before a promise can come through or any an expectation can be fulfilled that you have or something that you've been uh, wanting, personally wanting from God that you find out as it moves through forward through time that that wasn't really what you needed and that wasn't really the expectation that you had isn't really what fulfilled you in the end that something else aligned that was even better, so you need to be patient. And that's with Hagar and with Sarai. Sarah, they had to have this patience and know that God was with them, and it would take time for all of these things to happen according to um, their lifetime plan. Something that you said earlier, Anne, was, you know, that oftentimes you find that you, in looking back, and that God, you kind of see God's presence in those, in, in the hard times in your life, right? And I think that that's something where I've found, you know, when, um, it's oftentimes the, the things um, that were really hard, hard times in my life, like you're saying, right? Like that, like that feels like, gosh, what good can come of this? And I, I don't think that that means that like God orchestrated that bad thing to happen. But I do think that there's something about those times that um, it kind of opens you up to a vulnerability that I think it, it allows you to kind of hopefully, you know, op be open to, to kind of where the spirit is leading you. Because I think that you're, you have, and, and one thing in this story, you know, that I, that I struck me in one of my readings of it, um, 
was the time that um, uh, Hagar is crying in the wilderness, um, and she, you know, it's kind of like me and my son are going to die here, and um, it and it says then God. Um, so God heard the boy crying and says, don't be afraid. And it says, then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And um, I just think that that's so, such a beautiful image of that time when you're in despair. And it's like, I mean, I've been there, right? I think so many of us have been there where you go, you're in despair and it's like, just gonna die, I'm just gonna, I don't know my, I don't see my way out, right? And, and I don't, I don't think that it means that, well, I don't, I don't read it as like God like waved his wand and, and made a, a well appear. I see it as this image of, of, Hagar was in such distress and such agony that it's like she couldn't see what was in front of her. She couldn't see the opportunity to get through to the next step, right? Which was this well of water. And I mean, in these both verses, they talk there a couple times about this idea of a, a well being kind of the touchstone of a marker of getting to the next, getting through it. And I just, I, I think that's a beautiful image. Um, and to answer Anne's question from a moment ago, I was thinking about a time in my life when I felt pretty desperate. Um, I've shared with you before that I'm from Indiana, and the part of Indiana that I'm from is a pretty homogeneous kind of place. There, were not, there was not a lot of racial diversity in the, the town where I lived. But um, I was, my uh, husband and I were separated, life was a mess, and um, a black woman came to the door selling cleaning products and she took a look at me and without even giving me her pitch about the magic cleaning products, she said like, I don't know what, what you're going through, but I need to pray with you. And then like a couple of days later, I was at the grocery store, like in the aisle where they sell the medicine, looking for some Tylenol PM because I wasn't sleeping. Round the corner comes another black woman who says to me in the middle of the grocery store, like, I'm supposed to pray with you. And I'm like, okay. And then a couple of days after that, I'm at Walmart. There's another black woman in the parking lot with her husband, and they're um, giving away these books about prayer. And this third black woman in like the space of 10 days, I kid you not, says, I'm supposed to pray with you. So that was just a very tangible t reminder to me that like sometimes God shows up wearing the skin of people to like minister to you or interact with you or show you that you're seen, so. Yeah, I, I think we are often, there are often moments where we are asked to be God's hands and feet and people in this world. Yeah, and they were that to you. That's beautiful. Um, I think we, we've, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it here with, with just one more thought about, I love that in this story, God um, has been present with Hagar. God has provided for Hagar life-saving, you know, sustenance, um, and that in our lives, as we go through our lives, um, there are going to be times where we're looking for God and may have trouble seeing God or hearing God, um, but God hears us and God sees us and God is present in our lives now. And to me, that is um, such a great comfort and such a great joy and I think it's an important lesson to take from this story. So I'm going to end our time together with a prayer and there's gonna be a pause in the middle of our prayer for a little bit of time for reflection for you. 
And then after the prayer, the words will be up on the screen of the version of the Lord's Prayer that we often use that we can recite together before we end our time together. Hmm. God, I thank you for this opportunity to delve into the story of Hagar and Ishmael and Sarai and Abram. I thank you for the things that have been spoken and shared this morning. Let's take a minute, each of us, to think about what we learned or what we heard or what pricked at our conscience or what irked us wherever those things are, and offer them up. God, I thank you that we know and trust and believe that you are the God who sees, that you're the God who hears. Show us the ways that we can be your hands and feet to others. And I pray this in your name. You can uh, read along with me. <clears throat> Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, who are here and everywhere, may your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound where well-being and deep peace thrive. Strengthen us for the work to which we are called. Amen. May it be so. Thank you. Have a wonderful week, everybody.